Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey everyone, on this episode of Six Degrees with Mike McKenna, I'm joined by Don Beaupre. And that's my daughter, Kenlyn, giving the intro. Great job, Kenlyn. Thank you very much. There's also a couple people I'd like to thank before we get this started. First, Don's son, Connor, who helped make this happen. And two, the band Amana Marth for letting me use their song, Under the Northern Star, for the intro and outro to my podcast. Thanks, Metal Blade Records. On with Don. guest is a veteran of 667 NHL games. Played in Minnesota, played in Washington. A lot of success. You were an all-star. You went to the cup finals. Played with a ton of guys with really interesting backgrounds. You have a son who was a goaltender. Don Beaupre, I'm so happy that you're joining me today. And the first thing I want to ask you right off the bat is, what were summer workouts like for you? At the beginning or at the end of my career, uh, it, it kind of made a difference. But, but yeah, they would, uh, you know, you know, my career. I remember well my first training camp. Uh, I was, I was for the North Stars. I was uh, fortunate that uh, I was still junior age. So I went to Sudbury and uh, went to their camp for a week or so before uh, the uh, North Stars camp started. So I kind of got in skating shape because there wasn't any ice hardly at all around. You hardly got on the ice. There's some guy, I don't know, he was 30-something back uh, my hometown, Waterloo, Ontario. And uh, he, uh, you know, he called guys, uh, guys that played some pro hockey or some good junior guys. He just liked to play. And that's the only ice I got maybe once a week before I went to to training camp for uh, Sudbury Wolves. And then luck was on the ice every day for a while and uh, went to Minnesota's camp. And and that was pretty much it. I, I remember I had a job working construction that summer uh, after I left uh, Sudbury at the end of the season and worked construction with my uncle, building foundations, concrete foundations. And uh, I remember I took a week off. Uh, I think it was before I went to training camp so I could run, do some running. A week and, before uh, camp, my dad, not a month. A week before, before a week camp, before. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I heard the North Stars had a had a, uh, a test where he had to run two miles, and I'd never run two miles in my life. I didn't know what it was like, so we went over to the local school uh, a couple blocks away and ran two miles to see if I could do it or not, and and that was pretty much it. But my dad thought it was crazy taking a week off work uh, to try to train. I guess it would be so. Not that he thought the training was wrong. It's just you don't take a week off work when you got you can work, you know. So anyway, so it was kind of an interesting time, but but way different, you know. And later in my career, you know, then I'd have a trainer and we'd we'd train in the summer. But usually they just mailed you a suggested workout deal, and you're kind of on your own, you know. What a what a difference now. I find it so intriguing to. Uh, to find uh, out what, what the guys are doing now and how specific it is to goalie training or, or forwards and to skating and to hockey in particular. it's uh, I, I find it super interesting. Well, and it's become such a science because, like you said, you only took a week 
to do some running, <laughs> just make sure that you could even complete two miles. And now guys are on the ice all summer long. A lot of them, they do training year round. And it's odd to mm-hmm. even think that in Canada, you couldn't get ice in the summertime, considering how much of a mm-hmm. business it's become now. And you kind of started leading into it on your own here, but you're 19 years old. You've been drafted by Minnesota really early too. Um your first year, you come in, you make the team all-star, go to the cup finals, have a win in the cup finals. I mean, what a whirlwind season. How can you even recap that over how exciting it must have been? Yeah, it, it was pretty exciting. And, and uh, um, it was, uh, you know, a, a year, you know, it's a dream come true, you know, to be your, your every first year. But it was kind of like, you know, you kind of have success as a kid, like everybody who makes the NHL, you know, makes it to the NHL, you have success at some, some level. Uh, and, uh, it just kind of kept going and you make the all-star team. I made the all-star team both years in junior. I made it the first year and not that I took anything for granted. And, uh, but, uh, you know, you look back now, it was like, you know, probably, you know, out of my 17 years playing the best overall year, you know, as far as success, uh, personally and team wise, uh, it was pretty interesting, but you talk about taking it for granted. And I tell this story a lot where, where Al McAdam was a, was a really solid veteran. We had my first year at the North stars and we got, we, uh, we beat Calgary. We got to the cup finals to play against the Islanders. We had a, a team meeting before, uh, and Al must have been 35, I think, at the time, something like that. I'm 19 years old, and and uh, to go around, guys are kind of talking, you know, getting ready for the, you know, as a team meeting, talking in the dressing room. And Al, kind of very, uh, very smart guy, and didn't say anything unless it had meaning. And and he goes, boys, you know what? Some of us older guys, this is, uh, you know, this could be our last chance at a cup, you know. And he paused like he always does and thinks, and uh, he goes you know what, it, it it could be for all of us in here, you know, even the young guys. And sure enough, I played 16 more years after that and never made it back to the final. So, uh, so it had a lot of truth in it. And I remember that to this day. I remember when he said it and uh, I didn't think he was crazy or I think I would have forgot about it, but uh, it had some truth in it. And, uh, and uh, you got to enjoy it uh, if and when you get there. I think I might've heard that exact same speech from a teammate of mine named Greg Rollo last year when we were in the Calder cup finals. And we had a couple of older guys in the room and we were all thinking, we don't know if we'll ever get this chance again. And I mean, I had had it the previous year and it's tough to get there. People don't realize how difficult that is. And like you said, taking things for granted when it happens really early in your career, you just have that expectation that we're going to be in the finals every year. Of course, I'll make the all-star team every year, you know, and things started to, you know, they didn't quite go the same way in Minnesota all after all those years, but um, did it start to trail off after that, after that year though, and things start to feel different? Yeah, yeah, definitely. We we lost a lot of character guys. I think management really wanted to go to super skilled guys, and we lost a lot of character guys. And I think if you're in hockey long enough, you know what takes a good good mix, the right mix of guys to mesh together everybody can't be a 50 goal scorer you can't win with a team of 50 goal scorers and you can't win with a team of all defensive style players so uh you know you need that right mix and we went to more finesse type guys and uh and it slowly slowly went down we had part of it was injuries too and uh but yeah it just seemed to slip after that but you think you have a good team we had a young team super young team my first year go to the finals you think it's going to be like that all the time the next year Chicago beats us out first round and uh, that's when the big rivalry with them started Hmm. you know looking back here I've read a lot about and heard a lot about this from other people your relationship with Jill Malosh 
who was was I think your first goalie partner when you were in Minnesota, if that's right. Yeah. Is there yeah. is there something that can kind of sum up the relationship you had with him, whether it's just a quick story or memory of of you guys together? Well, nothing in particular, and I always talk to him. I mean, I, I got here, and and uh, Gary Edwards was his goalie partner at the time, and they had played a couple of years. I've known the exact history, and I know their wives are really good friends, you know. And the young guy comes in, and I get drafted. Young guy comes in, and I end up taking Gary's job, and they kept him around till after after the new year. And I don't know why, if they thought, okay, I'm going to fade away, I'll go back to junior then, or what the deal was, but uh, um, then they ended up uh, trading him. But, I mean, Jill, it could have been, he could have treated, you know, went another way and not been, been uh, you know, such a supportive guy in that, but uh, because it kind of took his buddy's job, you know, and their wives and everything. And I'm sure that didn't go great with his wife either, but uh, there was he was first class. We roomed together, you know, for the, the whole five years he was, we were together and uh, here and when we traveled and everything and, uh, Lowered his place for dinner and, uh, you know, knew his kids and everything. It was, uh, yeah, a great relationship. One I'll never forget. One you learn. I never had any trouble, you know, with, you know, playing with any goalie partner, but, uh, some are better than others. And, uh, you know, he was, he was a great one, a great example for me. He's a great pro. And it's really, if you look up his stats, they almost, uh, our, our stats almost mirror each other, save percentage goals against. Hmm. All that stuff, it's really uh, kind of ironic. But, uh, yeah, he's, he's you know, as one of the teammates, uh, one of the goalie partners I played with, uh, he's he's at the top of the list. So. Not just Jill during your time in Minnesota, but I look at your stats during that, that period. And, you know, you played 35 to 50 games, it seemed like, most years. So, really, a lot of times it was tandem work. And I don't know an injury history. So, was that part of it, too? Or was it constantly a battle to get in the net when you were there? It was it was a, a battle, you know. You'd play stretches at a time, and it just seemed that's the way they did things here. Glenn Sommer was the coach at the time, and uh, um, he's kind of like, okay, who's hot is in, and that's great. So you never really, it's tough to to separate yourself. And Jim was a good goalie, and it was fine, you know. It was it was great. I was used to playing every game the whole my whole career till I got here, and then split with him. But it was fine. It worked out well. And then, uh, you know, after that, it's like, you know, then you don't have such a good team. It's tough to get on a roll as a goalie. And, uh, you know, your confidence sometimes, uh, you know, gets a little shaken and uh, you're not playing up whatever. And one thing leads to another. And and so, you, you know, and a and couple injuries, I'd always seem I'd have a two week at least groin injury. I pull my groin every year and, and really no other injuries. It was really kind of a strange deal. But, uh, yeah, so it wasn't big factor was uh injuries it was more competitive it was just the coach's philosophy you know we talked briefly about how training has changed but also contracts an awful lot and i just wanted to ask you what your rookie contract looked like and you don't have to go into specifics with it but just how different it is today where you know your guy comes out of junior he signs a three-year deal he's guaranteed you know just shy of a million dollars at minimum it seems like things had to be way different during your time can you elaborate a little bit on that yeah, sure. Well, I got uh, I was drafted and I had a year of junior eligibility left. I just played two years, so uh, I signed a four-year deal. I think I made like sixty-five, seventy-five, eighty-five, ninety-five, or something like that. And then, if I played so many games, there's salary revision, and uh, 
anyway, and some bonus stuff, you know, that, that I think it was $2,000 for a shutout or something like that. Anyway, but, but with a year of eligibility, I, and, and I don't, I haven't asked anybody, it doesn't, doesn't matter at this point, except that I would have guessed, you know, one of the years, you know, was I would go back to junior, you know, and play my last year junior. And it was the contract set up that it wouldn't apply, but it would be one year on there anyway. So, and then, you know, I thought, okay, I'd play another year junior, go play a year in the, or two in the minors, and then the last year or two in my contract, and then hopefully sign another one. That's how I thought it was going to go, and I ended up made, making the team. And had salary vision, I, you know, I think I made six figures every year because of stuff. I played, you know, 30-something games, and I forget how the breakdown was. But so it wasn't, obviously, the money it is now. Uh, yeah, it was uh, – you know, it, it, hey, you're, you're just happy to have a contract at that time. You really, you know, when I was that age, I was just playing, I'm mean, in the NHL. The money, that's just the bonus, you know. So at that time, the way I looked at it. It's a lot better than pouring foundations, right? You didn't have to go back to work in concrete and construction, I'd imagine. <laughs> exactly. But you know what? When you, when I think back, it's like, forget about training. That was probably the best training they could have had, you know, slugging forms and shoveling concrete and wheelbarrows and all that stuff. I'd, I'd Probably I could have went to the gym and not as good a workout every day as that. Well, I see that with like everybody used to talk about Bobby Hall and his farm strength and the big forearms from yeah. throwing bales yeah. of hay and all that. And there is something yeah. to be said for that. I've played with some Western Canadian guys that hardly touch a weight in the summer, but they're just absolutely jacked and shredded because they go home and they work on the cattle ranch yeah. or something like that. Yeah, they're, they're throwing bales and whatever they're doing on the farm. Exactly right. So, Did you treat yourself to anything interesting with your first contract? Um, well, I bought a, I bought a Corvette. Nice. <laughs> so oh, that's about it. So, and, and I had it and, uh, I ordered it, I think halfway, you know, in the new year, whatever it came in the spring and I, uh, drove it for one summer, put it away for the winter, took it out the next spring and sold it <laughs> and bought a, <laughs> bought a crappy Porsche. So anyway, but, uh, so I didn't like, I didn't like it too much the the Corvette at that time. So anyway, so you're a bit of driving. It's like, it's not, it sounds like you're a bit of a car guy, though, or at least you were back then. Yeah, no, I'm a car guy. Yeah, I, I uh, you know, had Mercedes and BMWs, and now I'm kind of a Porsche guy. Again, a little bit better Porsche, but uh, yeah, so kind of the midlife crisis thing, I guess. But uh, anyway, so yeah, I always liked cars, and I always had one, and I'd, if I had a sports car, I'd put it away, and you know, I'm lucky enough to have a car deal. They'd give me a car to drive in the winter and then uh, bring mine out again in the summer. So, so yeah, well, I enjoy cars and, uh, I love to watch all the car shows and, uh, I don't want, I don't want an old vintage car, but I sure uh, enjoy watching them, how they work on them and learning about them and everything like that. So I like, I like the newer ones and, uh, and, uh, driving those. I heard when you were in Washington, you had a super sweet low rider Mercedes. <laughs> well, yeah, 500, uh, Mercedes and it had, I put, you know, they didn't have, have anything from the dealer, the ground effects and all that stuff. And I had that all put on and, and, you know, BBS rims and, and wide tires and that. And, uh, nice. you black out the, you know, I had a phone, I had a phone in and out. <laughs> I was styling. <laughs> it was, uh, it was a good ride. I tell you what, on how it's a great car. And, and uh, I know you have uh, talked about Al May and I've roomed with Al May in Washington. And he, uh, he's, just last week is so ironic you bring that up because uh, he sent me a, 
a photo. He's in some parking lot of some Mercedes that looked like it. And he goes, are you in town? You know, he's in Washington. Are you in town? <laughs> Show me this Mercedes. And it, it looked similar. I was, it was pretty funny anyway. That's incredible. I had Alan May as a, as a coach of mine when I was in Norfolk for a year before he transitioned back into broadcasting. What a guy, man. Like you probably yeah. obviously can tell that I got some of this information from him. But uh, it's uh, okay. I know what I'm in for now. Okay. Uh, it won't be too bad. Don't worry. Uh, I do have yeah. one. I do have one more quick person that I wanted to ask about from your time in Minnesota, though, and it's somebody who's really dear to me. It's Lindsay Middlebrook. Lindsay is basically mm-hmm. the guy who taught me all the fundamentals of goaltending. He ended up retiring to St. Louis. He did a goalie school here for a bunch of years, and there's a there's a grouping of us that really owe a lot to him. What are your memories of Lindsay Middlebrook? He was a left-hander. I don't remember a lot. He was kind of in and out, and they signed him, and he was in the minors, and they brought him up, and he was a guy that I remember I got hurt one time, or and, and they brought him up, and and uh, um, yeah, he played really well, and that ended up, with, you know, came I came back and ended up winning my job back. But uh, so I I never I never was in the dressing room a long a lot with him, you know, because it was, he was here, I wasn't, you know, so gotcha. uh, it's kind of how it worked out, but. Uh, yeah, but he was a left-hander, right? Yep, he was. I and remember it. Yeah, that's me yeah. too. I catch with my right hand, so I think I was. Yeah, you know, he was just another person in my in my background that told me that's something I should be doing. I also watched Greg Millen as a blue in St. Louis, and I think that yeah. that played yeah. into me being full right as well, and why that happened. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, it wasn't like a natural thing you wanted to be a catch with your right hand. Is that uh, you thought that's like golf? Everybody says, you know, I'm gonna most of the golf clubs are right-handed. I got to play golf right-handed, but, uh, you know, did you catch, did you play baseball and catch with your right hand too, or I catch, a, I catch a baseball with my left hand. I do everything in life right-handed <laughs> except for that. Exactly. But I, but I think it's because I'd picked up a hockey stick right-handed as a kid and it just felt yeah. natural to, for me to still be able to shoot that way as a goalie. And then when I saw, sure. when I saw Millen catching with the right hand, I just thought this is what I should be doing. Yeah, yeah. Well, as a kid, Tony Esposito was one of my favorite goalies, and mm-hmm. in street hockey, I had this this um, set of uh, goalie gloves that uh, were kind of floppy, and you could wear them on both hands. And uh, I would play left, you know, catch with my right hand every once in a while. I could flip the catching glove over. That's how uh, good it was. But uh, we had a lot of fun doing that. But uh, yeah, I taught you know my son was a goalie, and I, actually, you had mentioned, but my daughter was a goalie too. But uh, um, Anyway, but uh, I taught him to shoot left because uh, as a goalie, it's easier than flipping it over because I knew he was going to catch with his left hand, you know, so uh, to make it easier and quicker enough to flip the stick over. But Smart, anyway, yeah. but I didn't know he was going to be a goalie, but uh, I, I taught him how to shoot, uh, you know, to shoot left at first. But uh, anyway, it worked out all right because he did catch with his left hand. Yeah, well, this is this is a good transition, really, to ask about equipment because this is a big part for everybody that's a goalie, and and you're no different. I mean, you're known throughout the goalie world as having some absolutely gorgeous sets of equipment. Once color started to come in, you always had dark gear. But when you first started out, you had a combo. You had a cage with a helmet, all brown mm-hmm. gear. Um, how long was it, and how long did you experiment before you transitioned to actually wearing a proper fiberglass goalie mask? And then the cage that you wore that was so unique. What's the background on it? Well, the background on the cage was, and it's so dumb. It's it's so Cooper had uh, their setup, you know, with the cat ideal, and they had like a pad around the bottom that kind of goes from kind of right around your chin. And uh, when I was a kid, they had that, and and uh, it's so silly. I, I would that thing 
you'd be on your mouth all the time and you'd be breathing and I would get chap lips so bad it'd drive me crazy. <laughs> I hated that thing. So then when I saw, saw this Jaffa cage, you know, and it had kind of a chin cup on it. So I got one of those and then my and then it kinda of hit your mouth too. So I had my brother help me and we took some really strong thread and we we pulled it away from the mouth and, and tied it tighter to the cage so it wouldn't touch. So it sat just on my chin. And it worked great, and uh, you know, and that's what I went with. But so I went to the, you know, I used that right through junior, and then I went to, uh, um, and then with the North Stars of so Greg Harrison, who's a big mm-hmm. map maker in Toronto area. There, I'm sure you, most goalies are familiar with him, and uh, he uh, made I think we all dreamed to have his, yeah. And my my mask yeah. maker was Warwick, and Warwick based his design off of Harrison. So yeah, anybody sure. who's super into goaltending knows exactly who you're talking about right now. Yeah, yeah, and he had a great design, and uh, it was a great craftsman. Tough to get masks off of him, so, but uh, he didn't make that many at a time. But he sent me one out of the blue, and uh, my first year with the North Stars, and uh, yeah, I just wasn't, you know, things were going well. I wasn't ready to change. Why would I change, you know, and had it for a while. And I think I ended up sending it back to him. Uh, didn't work. But then probably my last year, my eighth year pro, but the last half of my year with the North Stars, then I started wearing his mask uh and got away from the cage. So I, why I changed, I have no idea at that time. But uh, I look back now, and it's like, what a what an idiot, man! It's like those cages I had a job. It's not meant to stop pucks. They're meant to for glancing sticks and stuff like that. It was crazy in the helmet. That's not meant to stop a puck. I mean, I saw a kid, you know, young, you know, when I was young, I think he was in Bantam or something like that. Took a slap shot, hit right in the Cooper insignia on the front and pop it right out of there you know i mean that, that's how bad it was but but saying that i learned uh, after and, and when my son started playing goalie and my daughter started playing goalie the first thing i did when they went in there was i bought them a real goalie mask so uh um I, I thought that was a pretty good investment so the cage that you wore on the harrison though was really unique you didn't have the cat eye cage you had the more traditional mm-hmm. squared bars like that that's kind of effectively become known as the Beaupre cage and you've seen it in future generations, like Tim Thomas wore something that was real similar to it in later years. But when you wanted to have that on your mask, was it a special request for Harrison to do? And did he have to, you know, hire somebody that could make that happen for you? Yeah, he got a guy to, and I think he had his, I, I think he had his, all his mask handmade. So if he did the cat eye one, he had a guy with stainless bars and they would, weld each where every bar crossed where like if you bought a, a cooper one right off the shelf they would only weld and this is what i was told they'd only weld the outside where the bar touched the outside of the mask and where they crossed in the middle that was just held together by that plastic stuff it wasn't really welded there so he he welded the stainless steel in each one to make it stronger and uh but yeah i did request that you know i could see that better i never liked that cat i want to just couldn't seem to see out of that when I tried it. So, but uh, yeah, so I was guess it was kind of a custom order, but the whole mask was custom anyway. But he did uh, he did make that, so it was uh, yeah, it was pretty seamless uh, moving from one to the other. From what I could tell, it looked like you wore Cooper for the most part earlier in your career, and then switched to Vaughn later. And I couldn't find anything else through it. So, what was the transition to Vaughn like? Why? What made you go with that company? And also, did you always have a preference for dark gear? Because it looked amazing with every set that you, I mean, every team you were on, you look at the Capitals gear, Ottawa, I mean, Toronto, the stuff looked awesome. And so many guys have gone to all white now that it kind of gets boring. 
yeah, I guess I guess now I don't know if guys get traded more or what. They go to the white, and it 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 it's nice. I always I always thought it showed puck marks too much, and I kind of like new stuff. And I really was a guy who would wear piece of equipment until it's done. You know, I'd, I think I'd wear I wore two pairs of uh, pads a year. Um, I'd use two blockers and but the same catching mitt maybe for two years. You know, wow. because it, the catching mitt was always the one. And if you saw some of my old ones, I got them in my basement. It's just I can't believe I even wore them, you know. So it's it's amazing uh, how bad they were, how worn out. But uh, yeah, but I started, you know, I saw Kineski pads were the big ones when I was in junior, and 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 uh, Jill Malash wore those in Minnesota, and I wore those too, you know. And boy, those things were terrible. They're all over your legs and whatever. <laughs> and then Cooper came in with the with the uh, pads had a little bit of foam in them, and they kept their shape more and and. Uh, and uh, their their natural like their their leather color was kind of North Star gold, you know. So I kind of worked to put some green on there and and did it on the gloves. So it's kind of the first, you know, uh, there wasn't a lot of colored equipment at that time. So it's kind of the first uh, of that. So it was it was uh, it was kind of neat that, that it all kind of fit together more than I'm just going to colored equipment. You know, I wanted the the leather color, you know, with with some green on it. So that kind of worked out pretty well. And then. Uh, you know, and then Cooper kind of, I think they had some trouble. I don't know why I switched to Vaughn, but uh, um, started getting into Vaughn. It was a little more custom than, you know, the Cooper was kind of off the shelf. They never really custom made it too much. So you just, hey, you need uh, 33-inch pads. They sent you 33-inch pads. There's no measuring or anything like that. You you took the off-the-shelf, manufactured 33-inch pads. So so when Vaughn got into more custom stuff, I moved into that, and uh, and that's kind of where I, where I finished. So, but... Uh, yeah, the new stuff is so much, so much better now, and and keeps their shape. It's like, uh, what a what a difference, you know. I know, I, I know, I can't, I couldn't keep playing if I uh, had some of that. That I'm not that dumb, but uh, it it sure made it a lot easier. Uh, you know, a few years ago when I played played in the outdoor game with the North Star Chicago thing, and I had some brand new stuff, and it was uh, it was pretty fun to play with it. Well, you stole the show in the game. You were absolutely unbelievable. <laughs> I looked at some highlights today. You're you're just out there two pad stacking, making saves on shots clear from the slot. I mean, you got the win for the team. Was that a, that had to be an unbelievable moment first to play outside, to play with some other fellow alumni, but was it tough to prepare for that? Cause I know your son Connor kind of put you through the paces to get you ready to play again. Had it been a few years? Yo, it'd be, I hadn't played. Well, I played, I think uh, a couple of years after uh, I retired, I played in a North star alumni game and, and uh, the day after, my niece, you know, got all swollen bad and ended up uh, getting an MRI and had to get it scoped. And, okay, that was fine. Went to Washington a couple of years later. Same thing happened. That, you know, nothing during the game. I couldn't feel anything. The next day, my knee swells up. I haven't got that one uh, um, fixed yet, but I know it's it's a torn meniscus, too. I know for a fact. So, But uh, anyway, so I didn't play goalie at all anymore after that to this game. And then uh, it, was, it was kind of fun because – I said, okay, I'm going to train a little bit, start doing some yoga. And I worked out, you know, pretty, pretty regular, but I did yoga on top of that. And then, uh, I got on the ice and, and Connor was my goalie coach and he, he's trying to teach me the new techniques. And, uh, and that, that was probably the best part about playing in that game is, you know, training with him. And, uh, so he'd go the first few times on the ice. I said, well, you're going to come too because 
I'm not going to be able to stand there for an hour, an hour and a half, whatever he had. You know, you need to spell me off. So he, so he'd come and so we spent some time together there. And and again, my my daughter was a goalie at the t- time too, and she had some, uh, you know, it was interested, something to talk about. It was really fun, the game itself. You know, to play with all the old guys and and the North Stars to have the North Star jersey on again. And and I looked. I mean, Jim Malash played, and you know, I was 55. He, you know. He's he's 65 years old, and he puts the pads on. And if you remember talking about equipment, man, he went well. He had the same equipment as I had, exactly brand new stuff. But ironically, Connor wore his stuff for a couple weeks before when it came in new. Jill flew in, strapped it on the day of the game, and went out and played with it. You know, it was (laughs) unbelievable. That's amazing, right? Yeah, right. And Connor just broke it in for him a little bit, but he had never seen the stuff before. In fact. He was living he lives in Florida in the winter. He flew to Pittsburgh for some meetings since he still scouted for them. He skated with their, those guys uh, in Pittsburgh one time and got some skates. And the trainer made him his old mask. If you saw the game, he had this old fiberglass mask, mm-hmm. just like he wore with the North Stars. And he brought the mask and the skates to Minnesota, used part of my son's uh, equipment and uh, the stuff that Connor broke in for him. And uh, he played the game. It was phenomenal. I was in awe. He played one period. He said that we were we we're going to split. He said, I'm done after one. But he was jumping around in there. I was at 65 years old. It's like, wow, I was I was I was so impressed. But uh, anyway, it was that, that made it a lot of fun, too, to see him do that. Was it cool afterwards to have the media in there asking you questions and being interviewed just like you had in the <laughs> old days? Yeah, yeah, it's some flashbacks, I guess. So, yeah, you had your moments once in a while with that. But uh, it was just fun to see the interest in the North Stars, and, and especially for us guys that played, you know, several years here, and then the team moves away, and it kind of dies. And, 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 and the guys, like, older than me, you know, Brad Maxwell and, you know, Tom Reed was a big you know, Tom Reed's the ex-president of our alumni here locally, and uh, Brad Maxwell now, and you know, when I retired, uh, they had this golf tournament going, and they would skate every Sunday night. Like once a year, they have this golf tournament, and just for the guys, it's just for the players. Then they brought some friends, and then they thought, "Oh, we can make this a charity event." And now it's a big, it's a pretty big deal here, and uh, that uh, we have this uh, one-day charity golf tournament uh, to raise money, and I'll give the money away. And you know, it, so it's kind of neat to see like that game, outdoor game, was because of the age of everybody. It wasn't going to happen again. It's not going to happen again. And I realize that. I think a lot of guys do. This is kind of the swan song here for the Minnesota North Stars as we remember and uh, getting together. And it, there's not going to be a bigger, better event than than what we played that that weekend. And uh, you know, good memories for everybody. And uh, and yes, we we did want to win. <laughs> it was said in the locker room, boys, we're going to win this game here. So it was, uh, and we did. So it was kind of fun being in, in the hometown like that. Well, like I said, I'm watching the highlights, and I can tell, though, that your competitive fire was there, that you were right back into goalie mode. It wasn't that you were out there just to have a good time. I mean, obviously, that was the most important aspect, but I know that feeling that maybe it's the same for you, but it, when once you get out there and, and you're in the game, you can't turn it off, can you? Mm-hmm. No, you're right. And you know what? And you make a good point because number one, I didn't want to embarrass myself and, you know, and you didn't want to, you know, let in a goal from, from center, but uh, you don't want to get scored on. You're going to stand there. You don't want to get scored on. And you know what? I didn't play much goal because I hurt my knees and I just couldn't play. I couldn't get, I didn't think I could play enough to get that feel 
that I'm really comfortable in the net. And that's what I wanted to do in that game is be comfortable in there that I knew, you know, that you know what's going on. You're not just going through and, and dumb things happen because you haven't played much. You're off balance, whatever. And, and that was kind of my goal. And uh, I ended up getting in front of a few shots and we had a good time. And anyway, so, so I kind of accomplished what I wanted. Fortunately, I got to, guess I got to give uh, Connor a lot of credit for that. Uh, he's a good goalie coach. A goalie coach and a great e-bug. And that's how I met him, actually, this year was yeah. I came in with Ottawa and Craig Anderson was taking a scheduled maintenance day. So Connor came out, came in the room, and I looked at his gear and I'm like, I saw the name Beaupre. I'm like, this has to be Don's son, sure enough. So we talked a bunch, you know, and, and I kind of mentioned that I was doing this. And he's like, yeah, I think I think my dad would be great for that. I'm like, perfect. And now here we are. And, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, yeah. obviously um, – Minnesota seems like it's a place that's near and dear to your heart. It's meant a lot to you. When you were playing there, did you know that you'd eventually come back and retire there? Uh, yeah, I did. You know, my wife's from here, and uh, and I uh, um, I always liked it here. It felt like home. Um, you know, my daughters are here too, and uh, I knew I you know, want to be near them, and and uh, so yeah, I always thought Minnesota. I, I could have lived in in Washington. I really liked it there, but. Uh, but uh, this kind of made the most sense, and it's it's been great. It definitely is home, and I've been here 40 years now, so uh, so uh, I guess the better start feeling like home now. Yeah, well, it's, you mentioned Washington, and obviously that was the next step of your career. Really, you spent several seasons there. You're in playoffs, I believe, every season. What are your memories from that team? Because there was a lot of really really good players there. I'd imagine a lot of leadership. Terry Murray coaching for a lot of it. What do you remember mm-hmm. from that time? Well, I remember my career was flashing before my eyes there, you know, uh, left Minnesota. They, they had management change, coaching change. There's a bunch of us that have been around for a few years that, uh, they want to make the change for the sake of making changes. And, uh, um, and I was out and, you know, I I was traded away for a 10th round pick. So you wonder what's going on, you know, but it was kind of nice. I went to Washington and they go, Oh my God, I can't believe they trade you. We think about Minnesota. We think, you know, you're one of the main guys there, you know? So anyway, so it sounded like they had some respect for me. It kind of was really, you know, I was kind of down at the time and uh, kind of brought me up like, Hey, I I got some, you know, little reputation around the league here and okay, let's, let's rebuild it here, you know? But, you know, I went to the minors for three months before I came up regular late in the season. And uh, it was a tough time. I was thinking about retiring at the time. Uh, it was so frustrating. And, uh, you know, I wasn't real excited about the Washington organization because uh, I know Buffalo had some injury problems. They needed a goalie and were asking about me, I heard, in Chicago too. And uh, I am in the minors making $20,000. And and uh, it wasn't much fun, you know. So, But I was, I was playing well. I was ready to go. And, uh but uh, I got a chance at the end, and then the next year they traded Pete Peters away, and I was the number one guy, and uh, and uh, ended up making uh, um, the All Star team that year, and then uh, yeah, it was kind of the rest is kind of history. But but uh, yeah, it was you know what Washington I think is where personally I played my best. I you know more mature as a goalie and as a person. You know you're getting into your 30s and early 30s, and I thought I played uh, my best hockey for the for the caps overall and uh you know then then kind of went downhill after that to ottawa toronto hold on you were you're making 20 grand in the minors so this is like your eighth or ninth year pro and you were still on a yeah. two-way contract is that how two-way it worked back contract then? 
Well, here it was a contract I signed in Minnesota, and we had a general manager, Lou Nanny, who didn't believe in uh, giving one-way contracts to anybody, and he says he never did give it to anybody. And I remember, I remember riding the bus from Boston to Hartford one time, uh, back with the North Stars. I don't know, I was in the league a few years, and the guy started talking about contracts and one way, and Louie was in the front of the bus. He comes back and got kind of an argument about he's telling everybody how he's doing everybody a favor by making more marketable if they're on a two-way contract to go to another team. It was kind of bizarre. But uh, anyway, so, yeah, I was on a – I was on a uh, two-way contract. Hard to believe now, but uh, that's the way it was. And thank my my agent, I guess. So, what was it like running into the Penguins every year in the playoffs? Well, you know what? It's ironic because I remember the day I got to town in in uh, Washington. I went into the coach's room and I and uh, um. um uh, sit there with the coaching staff there and Brian Murray was coaching and uh, I think Doug McLean was the assistant at the time and uh, they're going yeah you know happy we got we got you you have a pretty you know you have a real good playoff record or 500 and good stats in the playoffs and we always have trouble with Pittsburgh in the playoffs we can't get by Pittsburgh in the playoffs or beat Pittsburgh that's our biggest thing and maybe you're the guy to help us well you know, it's kind of ironic how it went over the years. We lost a couple of times to them, but my last year we beat Pittsburgh in the playoffs, and uh, and I was traded the next year anyway. So it's kind of a, kind of ironic, but that's kind of but you run into them. You just playing the. I mean, it was like a big, huge night every time you play them because you could, as a goalie, get lit up so easy, you know. But uh, I don't know what my record in the end was, but all I know, I remember the game we knocked them out at Cap Center, and uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a pretty awesome night. What do you remember playing against Mario Lemieux, Yager? What made them so difficult to stop? I mean, Mario's, you know, and Yager, they're legends uh, in their own right. And But not just them, the supporting cast they have. Mm-hmm. You know, just when I was driving into the office this morning, I'm listening to Brian Trache, you know, won two cups with them. It's right. like, you could be Brian Trache after winning four. I mean, he's their veteran guy. I mean, how much better does it get? I mean, that's the kind of talent they have. Their coffee, you're looking all these Kevin Stevens and Ronnie Francis. I mean, oh my God, where does it end here? They had so much talent there, and uh, so yeah. I mean, those two guys, you know, Yager Lemieux, two great, great players, and just the supporting staff. They it just never stopped. They just kept coming at you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, depth is really hard to contend with. I mean, Brian Trache. Look at all the cups, not just with Pittsburgh. You know, with the Islanders too. But yeah, um, yeah. One memory that Alan May had though of your time at the Capitals too was a series against the Rangers and just how loud it was in MSG to win that when you came in. Do you have any memories from that series? I think that's the year where I came into the playoffs partway through against New Jersey. We mm-hmm. were down. We ended up coming back and winning. Then we played the Rangers the next series. And then we played Boston, I think. You know, this is this is a long time ago here, Mike. It's <laughs> anyway to remember it all. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was – to win in Madison Square Garden is always great. I don't care if it's a if it's a preseason game, you know. It's it's so awesome to play to play in that rink and uh beat the Rangers is always is always great. But uh no matter if they're good or bad or whatever. But uh yeah, yeah, it was it, it was good. He probably remembers more about that particular series and I say mine mine is beating Pittsburgh out and uh um but I remember playing you play Madison Square Garden in the playoffs. 
we're playing at 8.30 at night because they're waiting for them to tear the circus down. They had the circus in the spring and uh, about the square garden during the day in the afternoon, and they'd clear it out of there, and all the animals would be in the back somewhere, and they'd put, you know, take the boards off and put the glass up, and you'd be playing at night. And sometimes it got delayed because they couldn't get couldn't get everything cleared off uh, early enough. It was really crazy. No morning skate. Uh, yeah, it was uh, it was pretty bizarre. So you're walking past elephants, lions, tigers. The ice is probably like skating through the streets of Sarajevo back then, I'd imagine. It had to be kind of difficult for you to go out there and perform in that atmosphere. Well, the ice there was never that great, so I don't know if it was any different than normal. You know, the glass, the, the bounces off the glass. Yeah, they're the still board, not very you know, good there. In and out yeah. Is that right? Well, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, I'm not surprised. So, uh, But it was always like that. I remember there's a big kind of a hole right out about halfway to the blue line, straight out from the net big dark spot there all the time and and you're going what this is well that was where i guess they chipped the ice around there and that's where they they put the high wire or they hook it down there's a hook or something down there it was it was just a bizarre thing to see so uh you know and the smell you could smell the circus uh in there so anyway so it didn't smell like roses i mean there's a pretty distinct smell to the circus and it basically comes from all the animals <laughs> yeah exactly right Exactly right. And they were in the building somewhere. That building's pretty incredible. But they stored them somewhere and got them out of the way. And uh, and uh, you played hockey and the circus was back up for the next day. Is that not the most iconic walk into arena in all of North America, though, going up that big, long walkway? No stairs, just a big ramp into MSG? Yeah, big ramp. Yeah, we took the elevator sometimes. But, uh, yeah, that was the easiest way to go up that ramp up in there. and. And the odd time they brought the bus up, I don't know if they do anymore. I don't know how they got it up there and got it out of there. I think I backed it out of there again. It's pretty bizarre. But, yeah, that ranked the different levels in there. I don't know they sell the boxing level or, I mean, they had these different levels, the felt forum or was that what it was in there And where they had boxing? And I don't know, the level, different levels they had in there for us told is it's like bizarre. But uh, but quite a, but we were, Connor and I went uh, on a little little outing and we, we were there about five years ago at, right after they had did the big – I heard a billion dollar renovation on it. It was it's pretty phenomenal. We went to Philly, we went to Washington, went to New Jersey, and uh definitely uh New York was the nicest rink we'd seen. It was it was it was very well done. You had a teammate there in Washington that I've gotta ask about, and I've got a story about him from my dad, who's actually an off-ice official in St. Louis. He's the official scorer now. My grandpa was during your career oh, yeah. and before then, too. Yeah, so they're, they're intricately tied to St. Louis hockey. And my dad swears, and I need confirmation if this is true or not, that uh-huh. he went downstairs to get the score sheet signed by presumably Terry Murray at the time before the game started. So it's probably uh-huh. an hour, maybe 45 hour before the game starts. And there's a guy yeah. sitting outside the locker room in his hockey underwear with the paper, a pot of coffee, a pack of smokes, and a blowtorch. Yeah. Well, Do you happen to know who this could about. be? <laughs> the big Al? <laughs> Al Iafrady. Yep, my dad's. Al Iafrady. He yeah. saw Al take a smoke out, light it off the blowtorch, read the paper, and drink a pot of coffee by the time he went in to get the score sheet signed and walk out of the locker room. Was that a normal yeah. thing yeah. for him? Yeah, he always sat in a chair outside the locker room, and uh, he'd smoke a cigarette between periods, and... Uh, yeah, he would, but he'd go out there, and and Al would come to training camp, and he's all tanned up, and Al was pretty ripped, and uh, he'd always he'd sit out there, and he'd have his shirt off, and sitting there, and this long hair, and uh, smoking a cigarette, and uh, yeah, he was he was he was quite a guy. You know what, Al and I were kind of opposites. I was kind of family man guy, and Al was kind of the 
wild man. And uh, I had a good rapport with him. I really enjoyed playing with him and uh, really respected him when he played in Toronto and I was with Minnesota. We, we, we played together in Washington and, uh, and we had, we had a good, had a good time, a good rapport and, and we weren't hanging around all the time, but uh, you know, on the ice and that in the locker room, uh, I, I really enjoyed him. He, he used to play all the music and you can imagine the head banging music that he'd play uh, all the time. It was, uh, it was, uh, um, pretty good the guy's got a kick out of it anyway so he was a he was a metalhead he was a biker he shot the puck 105 miles an hour was he an absolute <laughs> weapon in practice or did he take it easy on you no he was very you know he was fine so yeah he didn't he didn't bring up bring it like that so or try to overpower or prove anything to against a teammate like i say he was a he was a good teammate and a, and a good guy and a fun guy to play with like to have have uh fun and have a few laughs and never i don't think he took himself real serious but he played super hard and like he was a good teammate because you knew he was going to be there for you. And uh, he played really well. When he cranked that puck up, what was it? 104 or 105 at the all-star game. Was there anybody in your room that was surprised? No, not at all. We, you know, you know, the guys that can shoot hard, you just don't, uh, not a, a lot of times you get a chance to get it measured like he did. So they don't have a radar gun uh, sitting around all the time. So you, you probably got to go to the all-star game to, uh, to have that happen to you so yeah no nobody i, I didn't know if anybody knew how fast anybody was shooting uh for the most part but uh yeah he kind of he kind of put that uh that part of the all-star game on the map i think you come off a couple of amazing years in washington and you mentioned it that you ended up in ottawa afterwards and ottawa was in a tough time then there's no doubt i mean i look and you won 14 games in two years it has nothing to do with how you played your first year. You actually had some amazing numbers there, but what was it like for you to go through that? Was it difficult to mentally stay in it? Just knowing that the wins were going to be few and far between and that really there's only so much you can do as a goaltender. Well, you had to put it in perspective. You're right there. And, and the thing is you're not going to win, but how are you going personally going to play? And it sounds selfish, but I think it's the only way you could survive in that, especially as a goalie. It's like, you can't worry how many you give up. It's just, what are the goals like? Are you giving up shots from the blue line or easy shots or ones you should have because you can't afford to give those up or are, are it's a pass plays and you're outnumbered and there's nothing you could do. Those, those are the ones. And then you have to put it behind you, even if they had seven or eight that night. And I don't know what my stats are there. Um, you know, my first year there, I got traded. It was a lockout year. And in January I got traded as a shortened year. And that was probably a blessing in disguise that it was a shortened year there. So, uh, um, so I didn't have to go through an 80 game schedule. I don't know what we played 60. I don't know what it was, but, uh, anyway, so that was kind of helpful, but yeah, it was, it was tough. And then the organization didn't have any direction as a player. We didn't, uh, feel, you know, um, that management, you know, could get it done. There was some obvious mistakes made and, uh, that was, you know, in the media didn't have to in the dress room, but just contracts and, and how people players were dealt with and young guys and stuff like that and uh you know with with yashin and dag and and their contracts and that was always an issue but uh yeah so it was uh it was it was end up being good to get out of there uh after a year and a half but uh you know i played regular in ottawa i didn't play a whole lot with felix pot fan uh playing in toronto so that was kind of the bad part you got one more year after that, and it's something I did want to ask about, though, because you spent it in St. John's in the American Hockey League where, you know, you'd had a previous stint in 88-89 with Baltimore then, but now you end up on the Rock. And you played 47 yeah. games, and again, you had great numbers, lots of wins. 
But first off, I want to know about your time playing in St. John's because that place is crazy. I want to know if you have any memories or stories that go along with playing there. And then second, did you know that the, that the clock was winding down and that that could have potentially been your last season? Oh, definitely. As soon as Toronto put me on waivers and that uh, nobody picked me up, I knew, I, I knew it, it's ending here, you know. And uh, so I went down there, and I actually, you know, and 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 two sides of that is, you know, when I played hockey, when I was on the ice, it was great, and I played really well. I was really happy with the way I played. I'd get off the ice, and it was depressing, you know. I was out in St. John's. And my family, you know, my son's two years old and my wife, they're back in Minnesota because you go over there and you're there for a while and then you're gone for two weeks traveling because of, you know, you have to fly off the island and then you bus around. So you, because of the flying part, you'd go on a road trip for quite a while and they were gonna, weren't going to sit there and wait for me to get back for two, three weeks. So they came back to Minnesota, you know, where we had a house. But uh, so it was kind of tough, but it was really, you know, I played really well, but but after a while, it got into the new year, and, and they had told me they were um, the Leafs told me when I was on waivers that they would. I asked them if they, could I go somewhere in the U.S. closer to Minnesota, closer to home, to finish it out, and uh, they said they would. And and I'm gonna guess I, I was playing well. We were in first place, and things were looking good. And they didn't do it. They kept putting it off, and I started to get more frustrated. And and at at the end, with about a month to go, I said, you you know what? you're going to trade me. You're going to do something like you said you would and, and keep up uh, what, you know, told me what you promised me or as soon as the last game's played and I've collected my last paycheck, I'm going home. So it, it would have cost me money to play the playoffs. And after playing for the Stanley cup for so many years, I couldn't play for uh, anything else. And, uh, you know, I was right up front with them and they ended up trading me to Utah where Butch Goring was, uh, uh, coaching, uh, the Grizzlies and, uh, I played there, and I played for the. I played the playoffs there, so it was closer. My and and my son and and my wife they came out there for that, so it made it a little bit better. But we lost in the first round, and and that was it. I remember uh, the guy came down on a breakaway in overtime. I think we lost four straight or whatever, and uh, to Long Beach. And the guy came in, uh, shot it over my uh, catching glove, top corner. We lost in overtime, and I knew that was my last. Uh, uh, game and it was kind of fitting because I always thought my glove hand was kind of my strength and the guy beat me to my strength and <laughs> it was only fitting that's the way it ended it's not there anymore and uh took him off and never played again so anyway I retired but <laughs> did it so give you a coming. little bit did it give you a little better feeling though that you did get to go back to Utah which is closer and you said and your family joined you and get to enjoy at least that little bit of the last run knowing that the end was coming uh, yeah, it did. It did. You know, the, I knew the end was coming, like even in, even in, uh, I think it was February when I was in St. John. And, uh, like I said, it was kind of frustrating there. And I just, uh, got chosen player of the month. And, uh, right about then I decided I'm going to retire. So I was playing well, but I knew that was the end, you know, yeah. uh, and uh, like I say, on the ice, everything was great, but off the ice. And I knew I didn't want to travel around. Being a veteran goalie, the young guys are coming in, like happened in, in Toronto. You know, Felix Potvin was, was, had a decent contract and was playing, was a good goalie. And I wasn't going to 
you know, play ahead of him. So it would be sporadic, and I might have to get traded around if I'm going to stay in the NHL. And after, you know, I was in my 17th year, I go, I, I think that's probably it for me. So I didn't want to, I didn't want to move around with the, with my son being so young and everything didn't do it to my wife. And uh, so I said, okay, this is it. So anyway, so I, I kind of knew, I said I was playing well, but I knew, you know, that that's kind of it. My, my heart was uh, somewhere else and it was time to get into business and move on. That's something interesting too, because to me, it, from the outside, it looks like you moved directly into business. You didn't even really entertain staying in professional hockey in any way. Was it tough for you to do that right off the bat? And was there any way for you to keep a connection to hockey, whether maybe you coached, you know, amateur kids or something like that to just stay connected to it? Yeah, well, I coached my son and then my daughter and that, and of course, some high school hockey uh, until a couple of years after uh, my kids were done. So uh, high school hockey in Minnesota is huge. And I uh, coached with, uh, coach with Kurt Giles, so a name you might remember, defenseman, mm-hmm. played for the North Stars and, and St. Louis. Yeah. And, uh, or, yeah. And Rangers. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so he's still coaching there 20 something years. He's coaching high school hockey. And, uh, so I did that for a while. And, uh, I think when you, then, then as soon as my kids were done, then it's kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm, I did my part. I've put in my time. I started dreading going to the rink day in and day out. You know, you kind of burned out on it and, uh, and, uh, I've kind of out of it now, I think five years since I've coached. So, but uh, it was definitely fun. It was definitely fun to. I coached my older daughter too. She played a little bit, so so uh, I put in my my time in the coaching uh, ranks also, and for the kids and and uh, it was fun. It was fun to be part of their lives and showing them hockey and and to see now my daughter. You know, as a goalie, she loves hockey. Uh, Connor loves it. I mean, I, I didn't love it as much as he did. He just knows everything about stats and players and everything. But how he hooked up with you too. So, and stayed in touch. Uh, he just loves all that stuff. He's online all the time and, and looking at all the players. So uh, it's, it's fun to see. It's fun to talk hockey with him and see his interest uh, in something I did for so long. And you also were able to build a really successful business outside of hockey when you were done. Had you always had that in the back of your head, preparing for life after hockey, just financial lessons you'd learned along the way? Yeah, I had a, a good friend, a little bit older, uh, um, he did some tax and did some investing while I played and a few other players too, uh, got involved with them just to team a good friend. And, uh, you know, I didn't get in business after hockey with him right away. I had another partner who I ended up splitting with in the equipment rental business that I, I was in. And, uh, um, I split with them. And then I asked John, do you want to come with me? We built a company in 15 years. I just sold it last year. And uh, I'm sitting in my office right now. I still work for the company that that bought me, so I'll do that for a while yet. And uh, and it's a it's a you know I was an independent single location independent uh, um, rental place, and now uh, who bought me is a huge publicly traded uh, company, Sunbelt Rentals. They've got eight over 800 branches in the U.S. and Canada, and uh, they're huge. So it's fun to see business. I'm always interested in business to see how I ran things. And uh, and then how a big corporation like this runs runs things, and uh, it, I, I find it fascinating. So I'll hang around for a while and uh, and and see what's going on, and see more things how they do it, and uh, slowly work my way out of this. As a hockey parent who played at the highest levels, played for the Stanley Cup, seventeen years pro. What advice do you have to other people that have kids moving through hockey? Because today it's really, really competitive. Oh. People take it serious. What do you have to say to them? 
Yeah, they got to relax. You know what? It, <laughs> Take it, it, it easy. It ruins. <laughs> yeah, it ruins the, it for the fun for the kids. You know, you see the kids don't make the A team, and the parents are just livid. And you know what? If you ask the kids, they're fine with making the B team, you know, and they're going to have fun and they're going to have the puck. You know, if they're a bubble kid, you know, you know, they could be the last kid on the A team or the best kid on the B team. And, you know, especially when they're so young, it's like there's so much time to develop. The kids that are good when in squirts aren't the kids that are good in high school or, you know, or Bantam or whatever, you know, it all changes. And, you know, as long as you're playing, as long as you're having fun, that's when you're going to improve. That's, 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 what it's all about you know you know and they, they go, they're training them it's like play different sports play baseball play lacrosse play soccer play something you know it's okay to do some camps in the summer and do some spring hockey I, if they love it great but boy i think the parents take it way too serious and uh i think it ruins it for the kids it's it's got to relax a little bit but at the same time the kids that really love it i mean they're traveling they they improve they get great experiences they make a, my son made a lot of friends in uh, off season hockey, you know, and has, and has those friends still, you know? So, uh, yeah, he's, so it, it, it's, uh, fun to watch and yeah, I go, Hey, have you ever seen so-and-so whatever? Oh yeah. I just texted them the other day back and whatever, you know, and stayed in touch. So it's, it's really phenomenal. The friendships he's made through hockey. And I think all parents uh, can see that, uh, or maybe lived it themselves. You know, they're, they're playing sports as, as, uh, kids and that and young adults and the, the friendships you make that last forever it's probably the best part of sports in general great advice don thanks so much for joining me today you've got an amazing story there's a lot of fun to look back on it because the years that you played are really my formative years as a goaltender in person and i can't thank you enough for joining me and i wish you all the best in the future thanks again yeah thank you it's good to be with you and talking hockey and goaltending and, and good luck to you Thanks for listening to Six Degrees with Mike McKenna. Please make sure that you like, comment, leave a rating, subscribe, whether it's iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, anywhere that you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.